Please turn with me in our Bibles this evening uh, to the Gospel according to Matthew, and we're turning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and in the Church Bibles, you'll find this on page 810. And we'll be reading verses 17 through 20 of chapter 5. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What comes to your mind when you think about the law, or more particularly when you think about the law of God? Uh, For many people, uh, maybe most of us, our instinctive reaction when we hear about the law might be a negative connotation. We think about the law perhaps as something uh, demanding, Uh, We might think about the law as something that is burdensome. We might think about the law as something restrictive or limiting. Uh, It prevents us from doing perhaps what we want to do. And so we can have a negative uh, notion about the law. And that can happen even in the church when we think about the law of God. We can have a negative uh, feel when we hear it. But we can also realize that the law can have a positive connotation. Uh, that the law can be something that ultimately protects uh, and provides for our freedom and flourishing. Uh, It is something that gives order and helps us to be able to live uh, uh, within those parameters, within those boundaries. This evening, we want to begin, uh, Lord willing, a series. We want to begin to look at the law of God uh, by looking at the Ten Commandments. Down through the centuries, the Christian church Uh, has discipled believers in the faith by looking at what we call the Apostles' Creed, by looking at what we call the Lord's Prayer, and by using the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments have been pivotal uh, for understanding how Christians live in God's world and how they discern uh, how to live before God. But we want to look at the law of God, and if we're looking at the law of God, we have to make sure that we're handling the law rightly that it's easy or it's a dangerous thing for us to look to the law in the wrong way. The scriptures are very clear that by works of righteousness, no one will be justified. And when Paul writes those words, that by works of righteousness, Paul is saying the law cannot save anyone because all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that is righteous, no, not one. So if we come to the law and if we're thinking that this is how I'm going to make myself right with God, 
that it's the law that's going to save me, then we're going to hit a dead end. But when we think about the law, that's not the only purpose of it. The law of God is used in different ways uh, in the Bible. Sometimes we find Paul or other writers speak about the law and they set it in contrast with grace. They put the law in contrast with the good news of God's salvation in Jesus. And what it's doing there is it's saying, if you're looking to the law as your way of your approval before God, that is a dead end. And it is diametrically opposed to the message of Jesus. And so in that way, the law and the gospel are at odds with one another. But as we mentioned, the Bible speaks about the law in a variety of ways. And we need to think about all that the scriptures speak of if we're going to be able to handle the law right ourselves. There are, for instance, we talk about ceremonial laws in the Bible. Those ceremonies, rituals, sacrifices were all uh, practices that were pointing forward to what ultimately Jesus would fulfill. There were civil laws that were intended to make the nation of Israel distinct uh, from the nations around them, to make them live in a way that was consecrated to God. But there's also what we would call moral laws. And those were thinking about the Ten Commandments. We're thinking about laws that are a reflection of God's character and that are binding across time because they are pleasing in God's sight. And so as we're thinking about those laws, we want to think, what, what relevance does the Ten Commandments actually have? Do, should they have any relevance for the Christian life? Uh, is there any value in knowing the Ten Commandments? If, we don't, if we're not going to be saved by the law, then why, why even give attention to it? And this evening we want to begin to see that the law has a variety of uses. Um, again, down through the ages, Christians have understood that the law functions in, in a threefold sense. That the law is really a mirror. The law exposes, it shows us not only God's will, but it shows us our own hearts. It shows us how we operate and how we live before the living God. And so in that sense, the law becomes our schoolmaster. It actually is our guardian that is bringing us and driving us to see we need a savior because we are sinners, because we don't obey the law and we have offended a holy God. So the law is a mirror showing us who we truly are, not just outwardly, but inwardly. But the law has another function besides that. The law also functions to restrain evil. It actually limits the spread of injustice. And we see this in society. When there are laws, it doesn't prevent evil from happening, but it does discourage it. Because when people know there are consequences for their actions, they're less likely to go down that path. And so the law has that effect of actually limiting or discouraging people from pursuing what is wrong or what is evil in God's sight. But there's a third way that we can think about the use of the law. Not only is it a mirror showing us our own heart, not only does it restrain or limit uh, the spread of evil, but the law also teaches us how, 
how to express love to God. The law actually teaches us how do we express devotion to God. It teaches us how we should live before the living God and what it means to be obedient. And that's what Jesus was saying when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is not so subjective that it can never be challenged. Jesus says love will be determined and evaluated by whether or not it aligns with God's will. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so as we're thinking about the, the law, it can also serve to show us how to live a life pleasing and God-honoring uh, as well. Kevin DeYoung, a contemporary pastor and theologian, says the Ten Commandments do not strip us of our freedom. They actually provide it. They are not prison bars restraining us from enjoying life but they're actually traffic laws that help us to guide ourselves in God's world. You think about that. Maybe we don't always like the red light or the stop sign when it's our turn to stop, but it actually provides safety. It allows us to get from point A to point B safely. And God's law gives us that order that allows us to live in God's world according to God's ways. And so this evening, as we embark on this idea of studying the Ten Commandments, why are we doing it? We want to see how is it that the Christian lives in response to God's grace? How does a Christian live a life pleasing to God? And down through the centuries, the Christian church has said, we see the boundaries, we see the model, we see the framework of how to live pleasing to God through the revelation of God's will. And those are given to us in the law of God. So we want to think about what Jesus says in relation to the law by turning here to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the, on the Mount uh, is uh, uh, well known as Jesus' uh, most famous sermon. Uh, we have a collection of his teachings that were given. And this evening we want to think about what he says here in verses 17 through 20. It's to be able to see that uh, Jesus has come to fulfill the law. And therefore, it is something that is to be cherished and upheld in the life of the believer. We want to think about Christ's relation to the law uh, very simply in two thoughts. We want to think about what Jesus did not come to do. And then we want to think about what Jesus did come to do. And there, both of those answers are given to us in verse 17. Uh, Jesus tells us what he did not come to do. But first, what did Jesus not uh, come to do? We can say very quickly, Jesus did not come to avoid the law. Sometimes a notion creeps into the Christian church that Jesus had a low view of the law, that Jesus was actually denigrating the law uh, in some of his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount. For instance, you remember how there are occasions when Jesus will say, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. And some people have heard those words and they say, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus is denigrating. He's downplaying the importance of the Old Testament and saying, never mind what that says. This is what I say to you. And Jesus is, as it were, uh, tearing down the Old Testament and starting a brand new project of God's will. 
But that's not what Jesus is doing. When Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, he's not referring to scripture. He's referring to the teaching of the rabbis and how they interpreted scripture. You have heard it said from the rabbis, such and such, but I'm telling you, this is the correct interpretation of God's law. And so Jesus didn't have a low view. He wasn't denigrating the law. He was defending the true meaning of the law. But here in verse 17, Jesus not only does not denigrate the law, Jesus explains that he did not come to abolish the law. That word abolish means to abrogate. It means to dissolve. It means to make it rendered uh, without, without significance now. It is to have no meaning anymore. It's dissolved. You think of when uh, someone writes a will. A person is preparing for their own death and they, they write out instructions for how they want their belongings to be distributed after they die. And they will give instructions of what they want to have done with their belongings. But when they give that instruction in that will, time might bring change to their intentions. And over years, they might think, I have to write a new will. And when they write that new will, a second will, at the beginning, it'll say, this renders all old previous wills null and void. I repeal any previous will. And those old wills dissolve. They have no bearing now. Their meaning has just dissolved away. They're canceled. They're repealed. Jesus says, I did not come to dissolve the law so that it has no meaning. I did not come so that it would be repealed and revoked of any uh, uh, significance. Jesus is saying, that's not why I have come. And that would have been the circulating threat about Jesus' ministry. Is he, is he challenging God's law? Is he, is he trying to throw out the authority of what God has commanded us? And Jesus is very clear that he has not come into this world to, to take the law and to scrunch it up like a piece of paper and then to throw it over his shoulder and say, let's start over. Jesus says, I did not come uh, to abolish the law. The law is still relevant, Jesus is saying. That's why Paul says in Romans, talking about Christians, we uphold the law. It's still relevant. It's still, it's still significant to the life of faith. It's still something important to the believer even though it can't save them. And so, very simply, why did Jesus come? He did not come to abolish the law. Negatively, we can answer that. Well, then, how does Jesus relate to the law? Uh, how should we think about the law? And Jesus here, in verse 17, gives us the answer. He says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. Just as that word abolish doesn't simply mean uh, to, to break. Uh, just so in the same way, the word fulfill doesn't simply mean keep. It, it actually has uh, much more meaning. It means to complete. I have come to complete the law and the prophets. And to complete the law and the prophets means more than simply to complete the predictions 
of the prophets and the predictions of Moses. When Jesus says, I have come to complete the law and the prophets, he means to bring it to its realization that everything that was in there, everything that was communicated there comes to its realization in Jesus Christ. If you've ever watched the Food Network, there's a show on the Food Network in which young people will submit a drawing uh, to cake designers. And these cake designers will take the idea of these young children who have a dream birthday cake in mind. And they will, they will have something drawn out about how they want the cake to look, how many layers will be on it, what it will involve, what kind of message they want on the cake. And they will just draw this out and then they'll send it to the designer. But that cake designer then looks at what they're seeing and then they're to bring that to realization. It's up to them to make the idea a reality. And the same thing is being communicated here. That Jesus is taking what was communicated in the law and the prophets and he's bringing it to its, its destination. He's bringing it to fulfillment to make it a reality. So just as John begins his gospel, John begins by saying grace and truth have come to you in Jesus Christ. When John says that, John is saying the complete manifestation of grace is found in Jesus. That, that the culmination of God's truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking in a similar way here when he says, the law has found its complete aim in and through me. Jesus is saying all that the prophets and the law were speaking about point to him in one way or another. And so as we think about the law, it should make us look to Christ. It should make us think about the aim of why Jesus came. And this evening, we want to really zero in on that language that Jesus uses. I have come to fulfill them. How does Jesus fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, he fulfills, we could say, the predictions. But we want to pull that apart, what Jesus is saying. And we want to see that Jesus fulfills the law in three ways. First, Jesus comes to fulfill the directives of the law. Meaning by that, Jesus comes to explain the totality or the fullness of God's will. And that's what you see in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, you remember how Jesus was challenging what the rabbis were teaching. That the Pharisees and the scribes were content with outward behavior. And they would teach the people what they must do outwardly. But Jesus would challenge people to see the thoroughness of the law. That the law penetrates not just your actions outwardly, but the law penetrates right down to the intentions and the motives of your heart. And so Jesus would say things like, you have heard that it was said, do not murder. And I say to you, if you're angry with someone, then the seed of murder is there. Jesus would say, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And yet if a man looks on a woman with lust in his heart, that's, that adultery is committed in thought form. Jesus was penetrating down right to the intentions of our heart's desires. To say that God's will is not just about the shallow or the surface actions that we do. That God desires complete conformity. 
agreeing with his will in every aspect of our being. And so Jesus here is really driving home God's directives in all its forms and uh, dealing with it uh, in the totality. And so here, uh, Jesus uh, gives fuller expression uh, to what the law applies to, what it details, what it uh, is dealing with. So Jesus comes to fulfill uh, the directives of the law, explaining God's law in its fullness and giving its true meaning. But Jesus also fulfills the law, secondly, in terms of the demands of the law. God's law tells us the standard and the the will of God, which is right. And yet when we hear what God demands of us, it exposes our own sins. It shows us that we are sinners before God. It shows us our own corruption. It shows us our own problem. As Paul says in Romans, he says, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I wouldn't have been convicted of my own problem. I would have just been the way I am. That's just me being me. But it's through the law that we become accountable to God. It's through the law that we begin to understand where exactly I see that twistedness in me. It's through the law that I realize that I have a problem and that I need God's forgiveness. And so here, God's word teaches us that uh, we are sinners before God. But God's word also teaches that our sins were to be taken away through sacrifice. That's what those ceremonial laws were teaching, that they needed their sins to be covered. And so Jesus here says that he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And he does that by obeying the law himself, but also in terms of satisfying the, the curse of the law. When Jesus came into this world, the the writer of Hebrews explains that he said, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That sacrifices you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Jesus came into this world to fulfill all righteousness. Because in Jesus, the ideal, the idea of righteousness became a reality. That up until Jesus, there wasn't one that you could point to that honored God according to his standard fully. That it was was beyond realization. But in Christ, we see one who has come to fulfill all righteousness, to do the law. That's why Jesus came. And in doing that, Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, not only for himself, but he fulfills all righteousness in order to make others righteous. That's what Isaiah says there. We were reading it in the the Sunday school this morning, that my righteous one, my servant, will make many to be accounted righteous. Those who aren't righteous will become righteous because of my righteous servant. So it becomes like the clothes that he wears That he is righteous, but he gives his clothes to others so that they now are dressed and appear to be righteous on account of what he has achieved. Jesus came to fulfill the law through his obedience. Jesus came to fulfill the law in terms of satisfying the curse of the law. The Bible teaches us 
that Jesus was hanged on a cross. Why? Why was Jesus crucified that way? What's the significance? Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 that Jesus was cursed on the tree, for it is written, cursed is anyone who was hanged on a tree. So Jesus came into this world to fulfill the law's demands by being obedient himself and by satisfying the curse of the law as well. So Jesus explains his own work through uh, the law itself. He comes to explain the directives of God's law. He comes to satisfy the demands of the law. But then also we can say thirdly, Jesus comes to fulfill the design of the law. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in terms of the anticipation of that was expressed in them. We read there in Jeremiah, the prophet uh, of the old covenant, speaking of a new covenant wherein God would write his law on the hearts of his people, that he would not only forgive their sins, but that they would know the Lord, that they would be people who were consecrated unto the Lord, that they would delight in his ways, that there would be a change in their attitudes from the work of the Spirit. You see, that's ultimately where the, the rubber hits the road. Our problem by nature in our attitude towards law and our attitude towards God's law is, is that we are, sus we are suspicious of God himself. There's nothing inherently wrong with a command. There's nothing inherently wrong with authority. It's a question of whether we can trust the one who has given the command, whether the one who is in authority is reliable. And by nature, we are people who want to live according to our own ways. We are people who want to live uh, devoid of God's authority over us. But Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets in order to make a holy nation, in order to make a people who are zealous for good works. And by coming into this world, Jesus came to show not only our sins, Jesus came to show us the Father. And in showing us the Father, we would have a new sight of the God who is. That by the giving of his spirit, we would come to discover God in not only his holiness, but God in his mercy. That the, the, the answer to Habakkuk's prayer, in your wrath, remember mercy, is found and realized in Jesus. That there is one who is merciful and that we can come before him but also, not only can we be forgiven, but we become people who delight in his ways as well. And so it shows us not only ourselves, uh, but it shows us uh, the God who is. So it is true. The scriptures are very emphatic. Christ is the end of the law. As a way of trying to get right with God, it's a dead end. And yet, at the same time, that doesn't mean that God's law is, is irrelevant. If we handle it rightly, it becomes the means by which we give expression of our thanksgiving to God. It, it, it becomes the outlet of declaring our love to God and of living in submission to his will. When Paul wrote that love is the fulfillment of the law, Paul was not saying, go and do whatever seems loving to you. When Paul said love is the fulfillment of the law in Romans 13, 
he then goes on to summarize the Ten Commandments. That's what love is. And so if we're going to understand what does it mean to love God, we ask ourselves, do we delight in his ways? Has our heart been changed by a knowledge not only of our own sins, but of a knowledge of the God who is? The God who sent his son to save sinners. The God who is not only just, but gracious. The God who is not only faithful, but a God who is patient. And when we discover God's mercy in Christ, it produces that what Thomas Chalmers once called an expulsive new affection. Where a desire that wasn't there is there now. And it, it now directs them to live in a different way. There was a, an author of a previous century. Uh, he's well worth reading. His name was John Calhoun. He said, the Christian will yield this obedience to God, not only because of the authority of God obliges them, and not even just because the grace of Jesus Christ constrains them. But he goes on, but because he discerns the beauty of God's holiness, that in this law, itself he loves it you see what he's getting at there not only is it right to obey god because he has authority over me not only is it proper as an as a mode of thanksgiving giving thanks for what god has done in christ for me to respond with obedience but what calhoun is saying is, is that when a person has been regenerated regenerated by the spirit there will be that desire that aligns with God's ways, that says God's ways are good and I want to do your will. As the psalmist was saying, lead me in your commandments path. Don't let me go according to my own way. Direct me that I might be in accordance with your will. And here we again, we see Jesus's purpose. Jesus came to make known to us the fullness of God's revelation. Jesus came to fulfill the demands of the law by being perfectly righteous where no one else is. He came to satisfy the curse of the law by being cursed on the cross in the place of sinners. Jesus came to fulfill the design of the law by making a people, a holy nation, that all who believe in him would be aligned to want to do God's will and bring to fruition what Jeremiah was promising a new covenant where people have a new heart with respect to God. So Jesus goes on in verses 18 through 20. He says, For I tell you, unless until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments will be declared least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking about the moral law there. Jesus is saying that our relation will be shaped and reflective of our attitude towards God's commands. That Jesus is not saying, never mind the law. Jesus is saying, those who delight in God will delight in his commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And then he goes on in verse 20, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. How is it that anyone can have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees? People who were zealous about the law. That's all they talked about was the law. 
how can anyone's righteousness succeed theirs? Well, in one level, we can say it's the righteousness of Christ that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. That Jesus, who fulfills all righteousness, gives us a true righteousness. But here, Jesus is talking about obedience. Here, Jesus is talking about a new heart. Here, Jesus is talking about a righteousness that the Pharisees and the scribes couldn't tap into because they didn't have a devotion unto God inwardly and outwardly. They were content with a formal outward conformity, but they weren't captivated by God's grace. And Jesus is saying that you can be outwardly conforming to God's law and still be on the outside of the kingdom like the scribes and the Pharisees. Whereas those who are on the inside are those who are, they are changed. They are those who have been transformed by God's grace. And their lives now are aligned with God's will. It doesn't mean that they never sin. What it means is that their heart's desire is aligned with God. And that is fundamentally different than what the scribes and the Pharisees were. It's not just about outward actions. It's about a heart united with God. That union only happens, though, by the work of the Spirit. When we have come to a knowledge of our sin and a knowledge of God's grace. When we see what Jesus has come to do in fulfilling the law on behalf of sinners and we're captivated in response. How should we think about the law in light of Christ's coming? One mistake would be to think that Jesus abolished the law. Jesus came to fulfill it. He fulfills it in terms of the law's intentions. He fulfills it in terms of the law's demands. And he fulfills it in terms of the design of making a people who conform to God's will. The law can't save you, but the law can drive you to Christ. And if it does, if it does, then it will also make you captivated by God's will, to know how to express that love to God as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, Jesus's words, that you would give us understanding and discernment. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to look to our uh, own works uh, for our right standing before you. Help us, Lord, to realize that we are sinners and uh, that we fall short in so many ways, and even in ways we do not know. But help us, Lord, to understand why Jesus has come, to fulfill the law's demands, to fulfill all righteousness, and to suffer uh, the curse of the law in the place of sinners. And we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit you would teach us in how to respond, that we would have a new heart, that we would desire your ways, and that we would uh, be satisfied in your will. So go before us, we pray, and teach us what it means to love Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.